Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Welcome, friends, to the We Are For Good podcast. You probably noticed that you don't hear John's voice, and it's because John is not here today. I have invited a special guest into our conversation today because we are going to go deep into the conversation and the topic of the unhoused today and the homeless crisis, and it's all based on the concept of relationship poverty. And that's probably a term you haven't heard today, but I am telling you that the guest you are about to meet today, Kevin Adler, is absolutely going to blow your socks off with what he has done and how he is taking on the homeless crisis through his incredible organization, Miracle Messages. But before Kevin comes in, I need to introduce our special guest, and her name is Julia Jo Indicott. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mom. (laughs) You know, I decided to bring Julia on today. We had a conversation because Julia is nine, and she has, ever since she was three, has had a real passion for the homeless community. And this is her podcast debut. Julia, welcome to the We Are For Good podcast. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to get right into it, me and my co-host, because Kevin Adler is in the house. So today is the day we're going to talk about how connection, community, storytelling, and kindness are going to converge to address the homeless epidemic and how kids are going to help us rediscover our humanity. So Kevin is an award-winning social entrepreneur and the author of the new incredible book that I hope everybody listening will go by called When We Walk By. It is a must-read guide for ending homelessness in America. And since 2014, Kevin has been serving as the founder and CEO is Miracle Messages, which helps people experiencing homelessness rebuild their social support systems and financial security through family reunification services, this incredible phone buddy program we're going to talk about, and the first basic income pilot for unhoused individuals in the United States that was backed by Google as a part of a $2.1 million randomized controlled trial led by researchers at USC. That was one sentence, and that's just one piece of Kevin's story. He is pioneering this work on homelessness and relational poverty. He has this master's in sociology from the University of Cambridge and a BA in politics from Occidental College, where he was the 2018 Young Alumnus of the Year and where President Obama's favorite professor said, in 40 years of teaching, Kevin is the single best student I've ever had. Motivated by his late mother's work, teaching at underserved adult schools and nursing homes and his late uncle's 30 years living on the streets, you're about to hear why my friend Kevin believes in a future where everyone is recognized as invaluable and interconnected. And before I hand the microphone over to you, Kevin, finally, I just want to say that you said a sentence to me the first time we ever met, and it was a sentence that made me think this person is going to be my friend for life because I believe this too. And you said, everything in my life has been leading me to this point where I never want to know a stranger. And that's me too. Mm. Kevin, welcome to the We Are For Good podcast. Julia and I are so excited that you're here. 
It's so good to be here with you, Becky and Julia. I'm hopeful that our conversation is even more rich than any school lessons you were making today <laughs> as you're here. But uh, I'm going to try to do my part. But it really is an honor to be here with you, Julia and, and Becky. I, I'm just grateful for our friendship and have a chance to talk today. Oh, I cannot wait to introduce this mission to our community, but we want to go back. We want to meet little Kevin. You, we, we go into the formative experiences every time on the podcast because how we grow up in, in the way in which we grow up so much informs our life. And you are definitely one of those people that has a story. We want to know about your mom. We want to know about what led you to this work today. Yeah. So, well, I mean, to start with my mom, I, I, Hit, hit the lottery 10 times over with uh, the, really the best mom I could have asked for. She was both the strongest person I've ever met as well as the kindest person I've ever met. Uh, you know, she worked at older adult school nursing homes, uh, working with uh, developmentally disabled individuals, much like her younger sister uh, who had brain damage at birth. And, uh, you know, she just was a, a kind hearted person who had gone through a lot in life. Like it wasn't, uh, she had many, you know, traumas in her life and coming from growing up and all sorts of stuff, but she didn't allow what happened to her to define who she was in the world. She defined herself by how she treated people. Uh, and her phrase, which, uh, I'll share, you know, just really is resonant, I think, to both of us in the work we do, is she'd always say, people are people. And I'd kind of make fun of her. You know, I'd say, what does that even mean, mom? You know, <laughs> people are people. And she'd say, well, we just have to understand where people are coming from and, uh, you know, try not to judge them because maybe you would have thought or felt similarly if you had gone through that experience. So uh, she unfortunately passed away when I was 23. Uh, she had uh, breast cancer and passed away at the age of 59. And so I, I think I had this um, interesting combination in my life of both having the, the wonderful privilege of having a very nurturing, supportive kind of nuclear family unit. And my dad and I are close and my younger brother and, and really a, a place where my neighbors and friends and classmates would gather, you know, congregate, but also early in my life, right at the threshold of going from, you know, grad school at Cambridge, ready to take on the world to moving back into my childhood home in Livermore, California, and sleeping on a mattress in the living room for eight months while I got it ready for rental. Um, you know, and, uh, and I think that for me was a period where I relied on my extended network of friends and neighbors to get by, to not be so isolated and lonely. So uh, I've both felt the, the beauty and the benefits of that tightness of relationships and social support and, and nurturing and love. And also this kind of longing that it's never it's never necessarily going to be permanent and, and life can be short and unpredictable. So just really appreciating it for what it is. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about my upbringing. And you know, my dad uh, is a, a Vietnam veteran. Um, you know, I, I uh, serve, he he I've never I saw him cry many more times than I saw my mom cry. And he taught me that uh, true masculinity, true. Uh, strength is synonymous with emotional forthrightness and vulnerability. Uh, and, and I've tried to live my life because, you know, he, uh, he went through a lot of traumas uh, growing up and in the war. And uh, it, if it wasn't for 30 years of therapy, uh, he would have probably ended up on the streets or, you know, 
passed away, just like his younger brother, my my uncle Mark. I mean, what a story. And we need to name uh, your mom and your dad. Can you put their names out here? Yeah, of course. So my mom is uh, Joan. Uh, Joan Farrington uh, is her name. And, and I actually use my middle initial is my mom's maiden name, Farrington. So I, I go by Kevin F. Adler to give her as much credit as I possibly can because she deserves all of it. And then uh, my dad is uh, is Paul. Uh, so Joan and Paul, and then my younger brother, Chris, with a K. So that's my family. Joan, Paul, Chris. I mean, already you're talking about this expression of community that is around mm-hmm. you and this love that's embedded. And you're taking on this epidemic in such a unique way. And I want to I kick it to Julia real quick. I want to ask you, talk to me about your thoughts on homelessness. How does it make you feel? And what do you notice? It makes me like feel like really bad for them. And I feel like that they're not going to live much longer if we don't do something to them to help them. And so we were a little nervous at first when we saw um, people on the streets. And, and then we just started like talking to them and giving them things. And now you're talking to them. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel good for them because I know that it's good for health when people talk about sad things. Yeah, I think so too. It probably makes us like be more human. So that's what Kevin, I feel like, has discovered. And I, and before we talk about miracle messages, we have to talk about your empathy and curiosity that's been leading you into this work. And you are the first person to talk to me about relational poverty. And to me, it is the antithesis of the final core value of we are for good, which is community is everything. And so how we want to know, how do we move more toward community is everything? And all this emerging research indicates that we're sitting in the loneliest epidemic ever. So what does it mean? when we're disconnected and how does it, how does it, far does it go to like help people, you know, be stable and find their people and find their humanity again. Would love your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, I, I take a page from what Julia said, you know, it's uh, it's not just a good for unhoused neighbors. It's actually good for us. It makes us feel better when we can connect to our unhoused neighbors in meaningful ways uh, early in the pandemic, I heard an unhoused neighbor say something that uh, stuck with me. He said, I, you don't need to teach me about social distancing. That's my life already. And we all, as housed people, have gone through a period recently where we've experienced a glimpse of what it feels like to not be together can't congregate, the best thing you can do is maybe stay at home. And we've found ways online, you know, social media, video calls, uh, you know, wearing masks, outdoor activities to spend time and to connect even with everything going on. For our neighbors experiencing homelessness, there's tremendous barriers that make connection of even that type very difficult. Not having a home. Uh, not having a place to gather people, uh, not having a phone, having digital literacy access, access to a, you know charging stations. Um, when we look at the causes of homelessness uh, in the Bay Area, where I'm based here in San Francisco Bay Area, one out of every three people who are experiencing homelessness attribute 
the reason for their homelessness to some form of relational brokenness. So that could be getting kicked out of the house um, because the family doesn't agree with something about who that person is. It could be that they have someone who's in the house that's uh, doing not nice things to them, who's violent, or it's otherwise doing stuff that doesn't make them feel safe. Uh, and it also can be a death or a loss of a loved one or an argument. You know, if folks are getting by by couch surfing, doubling up, tripling up, and you get into a fight or an argument and get kicked out, you just have that much less wiggle room before falling over the edge into homelessness. And then once a person is experiencing homelessness, it's an incredibly isolating and otherizing experience. You know, when we think of the issue, we think of, well, what did they do wrong? What's wrong with them? Versus, well, gosh, you know, when we see someone who just went through a wildfire or a flood or an earthquake, you would never say, well, what did they do wrong? Did they not buy flood insurance? Or gosh, that was, they should have evacuated earlier. No, we say, oh, that poor person. And maybe, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. But for homelessness, we don't see it in that sense. And so that's part of the work to do is to see not any kind of individual failing, but to see the systems that are broken and also how the disconnectedness can lead to homelessness as well. I mean, that's it's such a profound and, and yet simple concept. And yet, I mean, we're going to talk about your book. When we walk by, we do. We walk on mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that this issue of relational poverty and the stigma around it is something that's been fed generation over generation. And I, and I want you to talk to the audience because this is a mindset for that's an ingrained mindset. And we want to start shifting people away from this sort of us versus them thinking. Talk to us a little bit about how we can start to do that and how we can start honestly opening our eyes and stopping, not walking by. Okay, well, I'm going to give you some neuroscience here. So there were some neuroscientists who study the brain at Princeton and Duke. So two universities, most folks may be aware of, good universities. And they did research and found that the part of our brain that activates when we see a person compared to, say, like an inanimate object. So you see a person versus you see like a book. The part of our brain that activates when we see a person has been found not to activate when we see a person experiencing homelessness. Oh, Kevin. And the regions of our brain that do activate, is that this, this part of the brain is called the medial prefrontal cortex. The part that does activate is the regions, I think it's called the left insula, the right amygdala. Those are the regions that are associated with disgust. So the implications of this research and, and this finding, a few years ago, the New York City Rescue Mission did an experiment where they had individuals dress up to look homeless as unsuspecting members of their very own families walked by. Each instance of this experiment, not a single person recognized their own mom or dad, brother or sister, husband or wife, son or daughter, as they walked by them on the streets. Julia, can you believe that? She's shaking her head no. We're starstruck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you imagine like your mom who you love and is just such a wonderful person, if she was dressed up to look homeless, you may not even recognize her. You may not even see her. 
as you walk by her on the streets. It's it's a painful thought. Like you'd like to think, oh my gosh, I'd see my mom, I'd reach down, I'd give her a hug, I'd help. No one recognized their own loved one. And so I start with that as where we're coming from, because this is more than just let's use person-centric language, which is important. We talk about people experiencing homelessness, not the homeless. You know, we would never call ourselves the housed. So we talk about, you know, not just people defined by what they're lacking, but neighbors who are currently experiencing homelessness and will not forever be homeless. Words matter. Words matter, but it's beyond just words because it's really at a neurological level, we are otherizing people who we see as experiencing homelessness. And that just means we have to go even further to connect as people, to see someone as our shirts say at Miracle Messages, everyone is someone, somebody. That's someone's son or daughter, brother or sister, or in my case, some kid's beloved uncle or aunt. Wow, Kevin. I mean, this work is so deep and so important. And I think the thing that I value so much about what you're able to do is you're able to balance your head and your heart in this because you use data in such insightful ways to really drive home the points that we just don't know. And and of course, we don't know what our brain is telling us in the way that it's lighting up. And so like my therapist would call that a left-handed move. We have to do a left-handed move against that sensation, which means to me, I interpret as I've got to make an effort. I've got to make a special effort to go over to humanize, to see the one person. And I think that takes a lot of bravery. And I want to go further into this research because you did something extraordinary. And I want you to talk about what happened when you put GoPros on individuals who are experiencing homelessness in your community. What happened? Yeah. So what what a teaser. My gosh. Okay. So I, uh, I, I, my uncle was homeless for about 30 years and he lived on and off the streets of Santa Cruz. And I never thought of him as a homeless man because he was just a beloved member of my family. So when he passed away at the age of 50 on the streets in Santa Cruz, I just started thinking, gosh, everyone I'm walking by, that's someone's son or daughter. That's some kid's beloved uncle or aunt. But at that time, I didn't see people experiencing homelessness as people to be loved. I saw them as problems to be solved. And I wanted in my own heart to to feel differently. I wanted to feel the same or similarly as I would feel about my uncle, who I loved very much. I wanted to have the same warmth and empathy for my unhoused neighbors. So for one year, um, I had it on my heart. I had this question that kind of landed there, which was, how would Jesus use a smartphone? (laughs) Love it. You know, and I was like, okay, well, you know, cat cat videos are fun. I'm not sure that's how Jesus here. <laughs> how about for a year, I invite 24 individuals who are experiencing homelessness to wear GoPro cameras around their chests and narrate their experience of what life is like on the streets. And the basic premise was pretty simple. I just walked by you. You're still here. What's it like to be you? And I had you know all these individuals record uh hours of footage i watched all the footage and it was it was really heartbreaking and two things stood out in the footage and one of them julia is going to connect directly to you actually both of them connect to you but one is really connected to you so first every single time i'd see a a young person walk by 
usually with their mom or their dad, you know, a child. Every single time that a kid would never just walk by. They always look, point, stare, ask questions, tongue tug on their mom or dad's sleeve and say, you know, why is that man on the streets? Like, is there anything we can do? And half the time you'd see the parent scold the kid and say, no, that's bad. That's impolite, that's dangerous. Don't do that. The other half the time you'd almost see the kid guide the parent to the person. And it made me think, what have we forgotten as adults, as grownups, that we just knew so instinctively as children like Julia? And, uh, and so I, I really honor Julia, yourself and other young people, because I think you remember something that us, your mom and I have forgotten of who our neighbors are and the right and wrong that, Hey, that person shouldn't be on the streets and we should do something about it. And the second insight that really struck me was every single person at some point in the conversation would talk about somebody else, a mother, a friend, a brother, a loved one, you know, anyone that, and oftentimes that person was no longer in their life, but they were still talking about them. And in one of the clips, I heard someone say something that changed my life. And they said, I never realized I was homeless when I lost my housing, only when I lost my family and friends. And it was, it's like, you hear that and it's so intuitive. Like, it's like, oh yeah, like that makes tons of sense. I've never heard anything articulated about that from any, you know, government agency, homeless service provider. So, um, you know, the, the, the story, you know, concludes and, and really the journey of miracle messages begins with me walking down the street, going up to everyone I see who's visibly homeless sitting down with everyone I saw and just asking a simple question, which was, do you have any loved ones you want to reconnect to? And uh, it turned out first person I met was a man named Jeffrey. Uh, He said he hadn't seen his family in 22 years. So I sat down with him, invited him to record a short video to his sister and his niece and his nephew and his uh, dad. I got the video, gathered some information from Jeffrey about where his family was based and, you know, last known addresses and things of that sort. I went home, got on social media, did a Facebook search for Jeffrey's hometown, found a Facebook group connected to the hometown, posted the video there with a short note. And within one hour, the video went viral, uh, made the local news that night as the leading story. Uh, classmates started commenting saying, Hey, I went to high school with Jeffrey. I work in construction. Does he need a job? Mm. You know, I, I work at the congressman's office. Does he need healthcare? And in the first 20 minutes of the post, his sister got tagged and we got on the phone the next day. And it turned out that Jeffrey had been a missing person for 12 years. I mean, how many Jeffreys are in all of our communities just waiting for one of us to not walk on by we got to get into miracle messages because I just think the simple question of, is there anyone that you would like to call is, is a game changer for the way that we tackle this issue. And it's such a great first step. And so talk to us about this incredible organization that you have founded. And I definitely want you to break down the four programs that you have that I think are so groundbreaking, innovative, and brilliant that I'm hoping others on this podcast will listen to and think about how they can retool some of their programs. Go ahead. Well, thank you, Becky. And and the best part for me about Miracle Messages, so our, our mission is twofold. First is no one goes through homelessness alone. 
and I'll share our work to make sure no one goes through homelessness alone. And then I wish I could end that a word earlier so we could just say no one goes through homelessness. But given where things are at, we want to make sure it's not an isolating, otherizing experience. And very exciting second part to our mission is no one should feel helpless on this issue. There's way too much good work to be done. And what we do is we try to make everyday people who have good hearts, part of the We Are For Good podcast community, I'm sure is included, to give them everyday, give them very simple ways to make a difference in the lives of our unhoused neighbors. So I'll share a little bit about what that looks like. So first program is really building off of the, the reunion that happened with Jeffrey, where he reconnected to his family. Um, it's our family and friend reunification services. So the way it works now is a person who's experiencing homelessness or a caseworker or social worker or volunteer or member of our staff on their behalf can record a message. And that could be a video or an audio message, but it can also just be going to our website, miraclemessages.org and filling out our get involved or our um, referral form. Um, If folks want to volunteer, you can fill out the get involved form as well. Uh, We also have a hotline phone, a hotline number. So if someone would like to refer an unhoused neighbor or a person experiencing homelessness wants to reach us, they can call 1-800-MISS-YOU, M-I-S-S-Y-O-U, 1-800-MISS-YOU. We'll link that that up in the show notes for sure. Oh, great. Yeah, that, that reaches a member of our staff and we can take down some information. From there, we get the message, we get the information. We have a network of volunteer digital detectives. So these are everyday folks all around the country led by a staff member who has 30 plus years as a professional private investigator. And they make phone calls and they write letters and they do digital searches to locate loved ones, deliver messages, help people reconnect to their family and friends. And those efforts have led to just over 800 reunifications with our unhoused neighbors. Extraordinary. That's one program. That's one program. And we work, yes. and we, and we work it in both directions. So if it's um, a family member looking for an unhoused loved one who may be experiencing, well, they may be experiencing homelessness and they're missing, uh, we have a program called Find Them where we work and it's kind of like a missing person search. And we've done over a hundred of those types of reunions. They're hard. It's like a I needle bet. in a haystack, but- We do that as well. So our second program is our phone buddy program. So basically, you know, we we had folks say early on, unhoused neighbors said, well, gosh, you know, this whole idea of relational poverty is poverty. I get it. That's my life. But for me, family is not an option. They may be part of the problem, not part of the solution. Um, So how do you help me if I can't reconnect to my family or they don't want anything to do with me? And that's where we launched our phone buddy program kind of like a big brothers, big sisters for our unhoused neighbors. So we take volunteers from around the world, train them, support them, give them a phone number through either our partnership with Dialpad or Google Voice so that they can make phone calls and send text messages to an unhoused neighbor that they're going to be paired with one-to-one in a relationship. All phone and text-based. You don't have to get together in person. Uh, There's a call log that you fill out if there's things that you're not sure how to handle. Caseworker or a staff member will follow up. And uh, and we do trainings and support. It's a great community that right now 
has about 350 pairs all around the world. Folks in, there's a guy in Bahrain and he's paired with an unhoused person in Los Angeles. We have folks in Chile and they're having calls with folks in Florida. I mean, it's all over the world. And we, we right now have a wait list of unhoused individuals of 36 unhoused folks waiting for volunteers. 20 minutes, 30 minutes a week. And if you're curious, you can go to miraclemessages.org and fill out the Get Involved form. And then our third program uh, is building off of each of these programs. So of the phone buddies, we heard from our volunteers pretty clearly. They said, well, gosh, I love my friend. I trust them. But um, it's very hard for us to be on equal footing in a relationship if they don't know how they're going to pay for their next meal or how they're going to get uh, gas in their car to get back to work on Monday because half of our unhoused neighbors have jobs. So how do we create some kind of, you know, should I give them money? Is that appropriate? Like, what does that look like? And uh, we decided to create a basic income pilot where we raised initially $50,000 to give $500 a month for six months, no strings attached to 14 people in our phone buddy program who were nominated by their by their volunteer friends. And within six months, two thirds of those unhoused neighbors were able to secure stable housing. Uh, they, they use the money better than I could have used it for them. And so now we have grown the miracle money. It's the program, uh, the miracle money, basic income and direct cash transfer work into a $2.1 million randomized control trial. So that's what's funded by google.org. We're working with USC on that. And we're giving out $750 a month for 12 months uh, to over 100 unhoused neighbors, all of whom are in our phone buddy program in Los Angeles, Oakland, and San Francisco. Kevin, you've taken the data, you've taken the humanity, and you've literally made the case for why this framework is completely... Uh, doable, and it's a way to upend systems. I'm I'm so overjoyed that we're sharing this conversation because I want others to take it and do it in their own communities. So, okay, we're down to the fourth program. Bring well, us home. Well, the last program is really, you know, the the rest of the conversation and and through the book and everything else. It's it's this need to change hearts and minds on this issue. Uh, it's the narrative change. It's the media work, the storytelling work. Uh, you know, it's the stats that we shared earlier that, uh, you know, folks don't even see our unhoused neighbors as neighbors, as people. Uh, so that's where, you know, we've we've had a lot of media coverage. Uh, we have, you know, the book that I wrote just came out. Uh, when we walk by, uh, we're working on a documentary. Excellent. And, and yeah, it, it's all really just meant to, you know, meet people where they're at, but not leave them there. Uh, when we don't see our unhoused neighbors as neighbors, not only are we missing their humanity, but we're actually falling short in our own. It, it dehumanizes us. And I think right now in the world, there's so many freaking issues that it's so easy to feel just so frustrated and helpless and overwhelmed about. You know, And we don't even need to create a list. Everyone can close their eyes and just think of what those are. And homelessness, I... I truly believe and have seen it with my own eyes should not and need not be one of those issues. There's so much good for us to do. It is the human rights crisis in our backyards, in our neighborhoods. And whether it's 
you know, how you treat people. Uh, I heard someone say at an event yesterday, they said, well, empathy is free and a smile is cheap, right? Like you can (laughs) make eye contact, it doesn't cost you too much. And, you know, there's even beyond that being in relationship with someone, you know, a, a question I always ask when I give a talk, I'll say, raise your hand. How many of you care about the issue of homelessness? Every hand shoots up. And then I say, well, raise your hand if you know someone who's currently experiencing homelessness as a friend, as a family member. And in every talk I've given, it's never more than about five, maybe 10% of people who raise their hand. And I say, well, you know, with all due respect, I, I, I feel that that is part of the issue here is we don't know who they are. Um, and we want to, we want to connect, but we want to do it in a safe way. How do you do that? And that's really what we're trying to do at Miracle Messages is create a safe, accessible way for everyday people to get involved in this human rights crisis of our time. Julia, you're tapping me. I know you have a question you want to ask Kevin. Yeah. On the on how would you estimate on how many homeless people you've helped? That's a great question. Well, we've helped, we've worked with well over at this point, I mean, in the thousands people that have received our services. Impressive. Oh, thank you. And also, I fully acknowledge it is a drop in the bucket because every night in the United States, we have 600,000 Americans who are sleeping on the streets or in shelters every single night. And over the course of a year, 6 million people experience homelessness at some point in the year. And about 2.5 million of those 6 million are children are under the age of 18. So there's an invisible homelessness also that we don't talk enough about. And so we have a lot more work to do, Julia, and I'd really appreciate your your help and support in helping us get there. Also, what can kids do to help the homeless population? You know, it's a great question. One of the best things I think kids can do is really ask hard questions of their parents. And, you know, you, you hear kids who ask, you know, why is that man on the streets? What can we do about homelessness? How can I make a difference? That, that actually is really powerful because I think parents listen to their kids a lot more than maybe the kids realize. You have a lot of influence in your family. So I would start by having those conversations. You know, hey, we haven't talked about homelessness as a family. What's, what are we doing in terms of visits, donations, handing out socks? Uh, socks are the number one requested physical item on the streets. So socks are one item that are really easy to give out on the streets. It's a great conversation starter. Hey, I wanted to see, I'm just walking around handing out socks. Would you like a pair of socks? You know, very simple. And then maybe say, oh, hi, my name's Kevin. My name's Becky. My name's Julia. You know, what's your name? Uh, You know, what are your plans for today? Um, And doing that, if you don't feel comfortable on the streets and doing it with your parents and and always, you know, going with, with a friend or a group and doing it in daylight, you can also go to, you know, a shelter, a soup kitchen, um, you know, but there's a lot that kids can do, I think, on this issue. So I hope, Julia, that that gives you some some sense of what you're capable of doing on this issue. I hope so, too. I think we have so much to learn from kids. They have such wisdom in the space of humanity. And Kevin, we just love and honor story so much on this podcast. I think the layers of your story are so profound and moving. Um, Is there a story of philanthropy that has stayed with you in your life, a moment of 
simple kindness. It could be a grandiose gift um, or something in between that you would share with us. You know, the one that comes to mind uh, first is actually uh, Elizabeth, who was the first recipient of our basic income pilot. She got the first $500, uh, I guess it was three years ago, last December, 2020 is when she got her first payment. And the first thing she did with the first uh, payment is she took part of it and made a donation to Miracle Messages. And I asked her, Elizabeth, you didn't need to do this. You know, I kind of almost said, you know, you shited her. You didn't need to do this. Like that wasn't necessary. She said, well, I didn't do it for you. I did it for myself. So I could once again feel the dignity of being able to support the causes that I believe in. So good. So we've got to wrap up, which I'm extremely sad about. Are you sad too, Julia? Yes. Yes. But we got to get Kevin's one good thing. So we end all of our conversations with a one good thing. It could be a piece of advice, a life hack. It looks like you have one too, but hold on one second. And let's let Kevin give his one good thing first. Okay, great. And also, Julia, you asked this really good question on how kids can make a difference. So I actually want to share a story as my one good thing that I haven't shared too often uh, in interviews. So at our very first fundraising event for Miracle Messages, we have an event every year we call the Good Neighbor Awards. And the basic idea is let's celebrate the unsung heroes who make a difference on the issue of homelessness. And we get an award and they, you know, say a few words on why this work matters to them. And so at our very first Good Neighbor Awards ceremony, towards the end of the event, we had done this fundraiser, successful, raised tens of thousands of dollars. And then at the very end of the night, uh, a a young boy approached me and uh, he came up to me and uh, he introduced himself and he said, he's 11 years old. He said, okay. And his dad was kind of standing there behind him. And he said, well, uh, you know, Kevin, I, I, I was really moved by what you said. And as a kid, I often don't know what to do on this issue of homelessness. Uh, I, I want to make a difference. I want to help. And he said, I get an allowance every week. And I, I'd, like to, I'd like to give you my allowance for this week. And so he gave me $7. And I took the $7 in cash. $5 and then a two $1. I said, well, I'm, I'm really touched by your gift today. And with your permission, here's how I'd like to use the money. I'm going to take five of those dollars and I'm going to invest it in our programs, family reunifications, now the phone buddy program, the basic income work, the direct cash transfers. So with your permission, I'm going to take $5 and put it into our programs. And he said, okay, that sounds good. And then I said, well, with the second five, with the $2, the two $1, what I'd like to do is I'd like to keep that. And I'd like to keep that in my bag. And what I want to do is be able to remember this moment and share this story that here you are, 11 years old, with your allowance, and you have an ability to make a difference and your philanthropy here may inspire other people to give in the future. And so what I have, this is my bag, at the very front of the bag, open it up. I have two $1 bills that I keep with me from this young boy. And I share this story, usually not on, you know, podcasts like this, but 
Uh, these two $1 bills have inspired me so many times. And to me, it's a way of the ripple effect of the impact that that young boy makes and, and really all of us can make on this issue with the generosity that I think is in so many of our hearts. What a story. Little kids can do big things. And I think this conversation is just a call back to our humanity. Um, I think in times such as these, when we can't tell what's real, we don't know who to trust, we know how to love. We know how to be a light to others. That is a constant. That is something that we can trust. So Kevin, you've got to tell us how people can connect with you. How can they connect with Miracle Messages? And please tell us where we can get this book because it is an incredible gift for Christmas this year. And honestly, all any time of the year, I've got my copy here at the house. We're excited to read that over the holiday break. Give us all the ways we can connect with you. That's great. Well, uh, folks who are interested in getting involved in Miracle Messages, uh, they can follow us on Instagram or Miracle Messages and go to our website, miraclemessages.org and fill out the Get Involved form. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, social media, Facebook, you know, Twitter. So uh, you can look me up. It's Kevin F. Adler. Uh, and then for the book, uh, folks can go to our website, whenwewalkby.com. And uh, this book for me is, is what I wish existed 10 years ago when I started this journey. You know, homelessness, answering all the questions, the misconceptions, the myths, and really what everyday people can do about this issue with stories and, and really practical guidance and advice. So uh, if the book resonates with folks, I uh, would invite them to get a copy, share it with their friends, uh, leave a review. Uh, but they can get it at whenwewalkby.com and uh, reach out to me and let me know how they like it. I really want to give you the floor for the final um, question of what's one thing people can do to get active on this issue today, either for miracle messages or in their local community. How would you activate our community? You know, I trust your heart. I know if you're listening to this, you're already someone who has a passion for making a difference. That's a given. The challenge is, what can I do? How can I get involved? Where do I start? And for me, I, I'm a big believer in what Brian Stevenson from the Equal Justice Initiative, Just Mercy, talks about of getting proximate. Getting proximate. I actually think you have to even go further. You have to get relational. There you go. And until we get to a place where we see and know our unhoused neighbors as the sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, and yes, aunts and uncles that they are. We'll never get uh, this crisis under control. So my invitation to you would be to get to know an unhoused neighbor as a neighbor, as a friend. And if that's through Miracle Messages as a phone buddy, great. We, we have a wait list right now of unhoused neighbors. If that's at a local shelter, soup kitchen, on the streets, in your community, great. But we'd love to hear about your stories of connecting with your unhoused neighbors so that by, you know, whenever you listen to this podcast, give yourself 30 days say, if I care about the issue of homelessness, but I don't know someone who's personally experiencing homelessness within the next 30 days, I'm going to change that. So I know someone by name and I know their story and I can share that in my circles as well. And if I can, as just a final thing to share, my favorite professor, you, you gave me a very generous introduction, Roger Boucher, uh, who, who was Barack Obama's favorite professor. Uh, he grew up in Oklahoma. And uh, no he, he would have been 75 years old next month in January. 
He was an incredible human being. He, he spent much of his life with rheumatoid arthritis, absolutely brilliant political philosopher. He's a beloved mentor of mine who I miss very much. He passed away a few years ago. So, so if there's an opportunity uh, at some point in 2024, the year that Roger Boucher would have been 75 years old, Occidental College, longtime professor, it would mean the world to me to do an event in, uh, in Oklahoma in honor of Roger. So. We will hook you up. I'm putting that out into the world. Julia and I will be there. Kevin Adler, you are one good human. I'm so glad to know you. So glad to call you friend and ally. You keep going with this great work and consider two of us allies sitting here as part of your squad. Right back at you. Becky, Julia, thanks for some time. And if you need a permission slip, uh, I got you. Just, just let me know. <laughs> you got it. Have a great one, y'all. Thanks so much for being here, friends. And you probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to come join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. And one more thing, if you love what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating interview? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find this community. Thanks so much, friends. Can't wait to our next conversation. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.